Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Chicago Justice Show. I am your host, Tracy Siska. I'm also executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find out more about everything we do around police accountability and transparency in local justice systems now spreading around the country at chicagojustice.org. And before we get on with the show, I want to let you know you can also at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning find this report. Um, basically, our study of the Committee of Public Safety in the city, Chicago City Council. We're gonna, you're going to be able to find that report. We look at 20 years, 20 years, ladies and gentlemen, of their agenda items for that report. And we analyze how much of that is actually doing, how much of that uh, their agendas have been directed towards oversight of the policing of policing in Chicago, the Chicago Police Department, but also the police accountability system in Chicago. So um, we're releasing that tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock Central Time, and you can find it on our homepage. You'll be able to find a link to it. It'll be in the center there at chicagojustice.org. Um, we look forward to seeing the reaction of that. No one's looked at we In the past, about 10, 12 years ago, we looked at... Um, three or four or five years of their agendas and it was not good this is 20 a little over 20 years from january of 20 through sometime i think mid uh 2020 so um can't wait to see how that drops okay so today on today's show our main segment is superintendent brown promising more resources for more policing resources <laughs> Um, and whether or not that makes any sense. And we talk about Lorenzo Davis, the investigator from the Citizen Office of Police Accountability, or the predecessor, actually, the Independent Police Review Authority, and his second suit and winning um, his civil suit against IPRA and COPA. Then we're going to talk about Lightfoot, Mayor Lightfoot's uh, campaign email, trying to raise money off all the police accountability work she is doing in Chicago. If, it, if her fundraising reflects what she's done, it's going to be a big, pretty much, goose egg. Then we're going to talk about firing SOS cops. They're still trying to do it 16 years later. It's unbelievable. And then um, after the break, we're going to talk about George Floyd, what that looks like, uh, what accountability looks like post-George Floyd a year later. Um, and then some national stuff about police unions, how violent cops stay. And then if we have time, a uh, sometimes... Um, editorial around um, gun gun laws. So let's, um, but before we get to all of that, really quickly, if you want to sponsor this show, and we could desperately use that, thank you, um, we could desperately use that to expand our reach to uh, streaming uh, city council, Cook County Board, state general assembly when they're talking about justice issues we'd love to stream those we could use your help you can go to chicagojustice.org and um get information about sponsoring it okay here's now, our Chicago first segment tonight plans to curb rising gun uh, violence listen, as we right get back. closer to the busy holiday weekend they're warning they will take action if people come downtown in large groups to cause trouble nbc 5 charlie wojohuski has more Police place tent cards and mark bullet casings on the 5500 block of South Michigan, where a 46-year-old man was killed and two others injured by shots fired from a gray Jeep and a blue Acura in the city's Washington Park neighborhood. In River North, a 35-year-old woman was seriously injured following an argument that led to gunshots on the 200 block of West Illinois. Two of what Chicago police say were 36 shootings involving 47 victims and nine murders over the weekend. This weekend, I think, speaks for itself on why would you need more resources on the ground. That's why CPD says it will continue to shift hours and cancel days off for officers as the city moves towards summer and the potential of a full lifting of pandemic restrictions. The superintendent says he also wants to talk about the use of electronic monitoring, especially when it comes to people he says should be held rather than released awaiting trial. We're talking about debating whether uh, people of Chicago want violent offenders, murderers, and others back into the community, and in particular, the community of color. The superintendent says the department is also gearing up for the possibility of violence associated with large groups of unsupervised teens in the downtown area. John Rowe lives downtown and says situations like this one last year are not uncommon. He says he wants to see police improve their response. People are going to be people no matter where they go. I would, 
I know the restaurants that, that work around here, and I, they've been calling the police, and they've been really slow to respond. This weekend, CPD says nine people were arrested downtown, including two adults with guns. The superintendent says he doesn't want a curfew, but will use one if the situation gets out of hand. At 35th in Michigan, Charlie Voice Husky, NBC5 News. Okay, so. Portugal. We're gonna. I got a story about you. Uh, a story about Charlie Wojciechowski, the reporter for NBC News Local, that was doing that um, story. But we'll get to that towards the end of the segment. So if you if you pay attention to that segment from NBC News, they start out talking about the kids in the loop, right? Then they talk about gun violence. Then they come back about kids in the loop. Then they go back to gun violence and what's being done. Make up your mind. Is there a connection between the kids in the loop and gun violence? The kids been in loops for, this has been an ongoing issue for years now in Chicago. I don't understand the connection. There really isn't one. But they believe there is, or they just wanted to talk about multiple bad things. And now the police obviously need resources. As we talked about, I think it was on our show last Wednesday. The mayor's office, this trope that, first of all, David Brown and Mayor Lightfoot, two peas in a pod. They are better than anyone else. Better than anyone else at pointing fingers and not taking responsibility for things. Right? And they're both kind of fibbing, kind of lying to the public. Right? And this is Brown. He's complaining about, right, you got the trope again, which is Lightfoot did too. And we know when they did it because we saw the emails last week from our office. Um, internally complaining about the fact that the mayor and, and superintendent were doing it. You got It's about bond reform and bail reform. We have too many people out on the street. No evidence. Zero. They don't care. The mayor and Brown don't care. It is an, it's an ability to shift blame, even though all they talk about is accountability. They're trying to shift blame. They've got a scapegoat. They're going to use it. This is what they do. Right. So that's all Brown's doing. It's this tired trope, this propaganda about bond reform and too many people out. People don't want murders returning to their. Well, can you can you prove that they're the ones they're responsible for the increase in violence? Is there any research that's so statistically they're the problem? No. In fact, I challenge David Brown. Put some put your money where your mouth is, superintendent. Prove that more cops reduces violence. Prove it. You have one of the largest police departments. You have the second largest police department in the country in Chicago and have had for a very long time. And Chicago continues to have problems with gun violence despite that. When Rahm reduced it 1,400 officers, there was correlations between that and low numbers and drops in violence. There's also correlations with low numbers and increases in violence. There's correlations with high numbers in drops in violence, high numbers and increases in violence. But David Brown, the superintendent, and the mayor don't care. It's some boogeyman they can blame others about. It has nothing to do with reality. There's no evidence backing up what they're talking about. They don't care. They will just continue to push it towards others. This is what they do. That was Brown saying, we need more resources. We need more resources. You can't give us resources. We can't do our job. It's not us for failing. It's your fault for not giving us more resources. Someone should ask the superintendent, well, superintendent, do you have any scientific evidence that shows that you need more officers? Where's the study? Where's the evidence? Where's the science? They don't have it. They don't have it. The only staffing analysis they've done, it's multiple years old, and we have it. I have it. We know that when we left the job of superintendent before McCarthy came in, they needed, after a massively corrupt process internal the department, they did a scientific report, and then it got adjusted internally. Even with all that, they could prove they needed five more officers scientifically at the time. They don't do staffing analysis. They don't want to. They don't want science to prove it because the science doesn't support them. This is pure propaganda. We're going to continue to hear it from Brown, Superintendent Brown. We're going to continue to hear it from Mayor Lightfoot. Why? Because this is what they do. This is their shtick. This is their jam. It's pointing fingers at others. Mayor Lightfoot keeps talking about, we need to change the circumstances in these communities. Great, Mayor, what are you doing to change the social circumstances in these communities? Oh, we're not doing anything. No, 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 we're not going to change taxing and financing TIF programs. We're not going to, you know, throw hundreds of millions of dollars in these communities. Oh, no, 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 we're just going to put more police there. That's what we need to do. It's all about police and then have no accountability. Um, 
it's just it's just tropes. They're just going to, and Brown is going to keep doing this. How do I know this? Because I talked to people in Dallas. I did my own research, which you didn't get from the media in Chicago. I did my own research. I talked to people that worked in Dallas. I talked to people that covered Brown for years and years and years. And this is what he does. He's always, he was always known for scapegoating people and propaganda. And this is what he's doing now really quickly to a good old story about Charlie Wojciechowski. Trying to think of the offender's name. Um, there was a, this is, God, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Jeremiah Maraday. Jeremiah Maraday is a kid on the south or west sides. I think it was the south side, but I'm not sure anymore. He gets in some verbal altercation with officers. The officer doesn't like it. One of them or two of them, they beat him and they crack his skull open. He files a complaint, gets a lawyer, goes through the process. Those two cops are eventually fired. But he lives in that district. Right? He lives in that district where those cops worked. So sometime later, some months after the cops are fired, I believe it was months, Jeremiah Meriday is walking home from the store and he sees an unmarked cop, squad car or two or three and he starts running home. And the cops catch up to him on his porch and arrest him. And they arrest him for crack possession. And where's the crack, you ask? Well, it was in his shoe. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but crack melts. So there are two places that every crack user knows you don't put crack on your body. In your shoe and under your hat because it will, because of the heat, will melt. So that threw um, shade right away on that arrest. And Meredith comes out real quick and his supporters, he's not guilty. This is all a frame up. Well, when it goes to trial, Meredith's got a real lawyer. Greg something, I can't remember. I was at the trial. And they get the radio dispatch tapes. And I'm sitting next to Charlie Wojciechowski. And I'm sitting, they have the dispatch radio tapes between the cars and the officers. And the radios at that time had codes. So it could tell what car was saying what. And if you had an individual one, what officer was saying what. So they, they get him, get Miraday. Get, and then they had these expletives about him and uh, racial epithets about him. Right, Miraday was black, if you didn't figure that out yet. And so at court, they testified. They didn't know it was Jeremiah Miraday. This wasn't a setup. This wasn't retaliation. And they have, they play the audio tapes from the officers, the four officers involved. They play the audio tapes of them communicating about getting Miradays, running, cut him off at his house, blah, 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 all these epithets. So I leave 26th in California where this trial is going on. At this point, I lived in Roscoe Village. So at rush hour, it's like 45 minute an hour trip home. And I catch... I think it ended around four, four-ish. So I catch Wojciechowski on the nightly news, five o'clock news, excuse me, I think. And he's talking about how Jeremiah Meriday's team has done nothing, did nothing to um, refute any of the charges against him. He's surely to get convicted. And I am like, what is he talking about? Then I remembered, I put the face next to the guy sitting next to me. Charlie Wojciechowski during this trial is playing a game on his, people are going to, this is how old I am, he was playing a game on his Palm Pilot the whole time. He wasn't watching what, or listening what was going on in court, he was playing a game on his Palm Pilot. That's why he could report that, and then, hilariously, come back on the 6 o'clock news, what a breaking news, Jeremiah Meriday found not guilty. That's how quickly, that's how quickly... Sorry, our dog is committed to barking at the people in the hallway some days. So, Jeremiah Meriday gets off. Now, doesn't he? He gets off so much that some of the jurors are giving him hugs. Like, they flat out did not believe the cops, right? They had caught them. The, the, the defense caught them lying. The prosecutors, by the way, suborned perjury. They had access to the same evidence. They knew he lied, but they still put him up. Because they didn't want the flack. So they should have been disbarred. Those cops should have been thrown in jail. But this is Charlie Wojciechowski. So he's the one doing the story. And so it makes sense why it flips to the teenagers, you know, um, disturbances in the, in the loop to homicides and shootings. And, oh, my God, there's such big numbers to the, the youth in the loop to we need more officers to the shootings. 
It's all over the place. It's a two-minute two minute crap fest. It's a horrible story, and they just let, because Wojciechowski is clueless, just let Brown continue the same trope. Well, you need more officers. Why? Where's the, num- where's the data? Of course not. It's a follow-up question. They don't do that here. Um, so they just keep letting it go. Okay, we're going to get on to our second one. It's not a much better uh, one for, this, for the CPD. In the city, titled Whistleblower, Fired After Seeking Tougher Police Oversight, Awarded $1.1 million for Emotional Distress. For those in the know, this is Lorenzo. Lorenzo Davis? Lorenzo, yeah. Lorenzo Davis. He was an investigator at the Independent Police Review Authority. Um, finally, under Scott Ando, who was an ex-DE agent. He was second in charge under Alana Rosenzweig, obviously by far. Her incredibly horrific, unbelievably bad hire was to hire him as her, him as her number two. Um, Davis was the, um, well, let me read you the quote and then we'll come, uh, no, I'll, I'll talk about it. When IPRA fired Davis, a move first reported by WBEZ, the agency had investigated nearly 400 shootings by officers during its eight years of existence, but had not deemed, but had deemed just one an off-duty incident to be unjustified. Yep, Mr. Davis here was the first supervisor to complain because they would turn in, there was a practice rather regularly as it turns out, that investigators would turn in reports saying a shooting was unjustified and their bosses, including Alana Rosenzweig, who was supposed to be this massive independent police reformer, and then her um, successor, Scott Ando, they would tell investigators, change that. That's right, change it. And most investigators would just change it. Davis got sick of it. I've never met, Lo- um, I've never met Mr. Davis. Um, I have colleagues that have met him and speak highly of him. I don't know the quality or credibility of the lawsuit itself. I know that he originally won a $2 million settlement originally, and that was overturned by the appellate court, and they gave him $100,000. Davis then filed a new lawsuit under whistleblower protection because the first one was like, uh, I think it was freedom of, uh, freedom of speech. Uh, freedom of speech claim, and you don't have freedom of speech at work. Your freedom of speech is from the government. Um, it isn't your workplace. You don't have it, unfortunately. So he sued, won $2 million, appellate court overturned 100 grand. He filed suit again under whistleblower protections, and this time wins $1.1 million. We'll see if the city appeals again. Once again, someone asked Rahm Emanuel, go back to him, or Mayor Lightfoot, how much more money are you willing to sink into defending this lawsuit rather than just coming up with a settlement and paying it off and why are you doing it and do you find mr davis incredible do you find him lying now the two different federal court juries have have, have sided with him that would be an interesting verdict and that's you know someone should be pressing them about what they're going to do with this um you look at that 400 shootings one one unjustified there is no way that's possible and if it is by the guidelines and the guidelines need to be deemed to be changed how is that possible no agency is that efficient and that much follows the rules especially one as broken as the cpd they don't have any rules and the little rules they have they don't follow i don't get it and that that a number when you look at 401 ruled unjustified you got to look at alana rosenswagu was the first had to created it, and then you got to look at uh, Scott Ando. I mean, Scott Ando was a true disaster, but Alana also seems to have been a disaster. If you're leading an entity that is overseeing the Chicago Police Department, and there, as we see so her many horrific shootings on videotape, how um, 400 in a row could be good, or 400 and only one not be good, is it's unbelievable. So we'll be keeping an eye to see if the city appeals this or if Lightfoot just gives up and pays out or if Lightfoot actually um, decides since two juries have found for Mr. Uh, Mr. Davis that they're going to um, take what he says with at least some seriousness. Now, 
on onto a nice transition about how she takes her work so serious. This is an email I got from the Lightfoot campaign. Here is Mayor Lightfoot trying to raise money, raise money for all the good police accountability work she's doing. She talks about the consent decree. Ladies and gentlemen, consent decree, please. Ma'am, that was in place before you, and it's going to outlast you. Even if they're getting slightly better at hitting the deadlines, it's still going to take 10 years if it ever really goes. I don't understand why Lightfoot's doing this, but she must think that she's able to, that people are going to be proud of the accountability work she does. I don't understand how that's possible as far as related to policing, but she thinks it because she's going to raise money. If I was going to put a hashtag here, I put fail. She's basically pushing what I would consider basically failures as successes, not only successes, but successes, and you should give me money. Now, I will tell you who's not going to give her money for this. The South and West Side that bear the brunt of police misconduct. That's who's not going to give her money. They can't because they're also incredibly poor, but if they did, they wouldn't give her money. They haven't seen the change they want. This is crapola. That's why you got hashtag fail. It should have been hashtag crapola. But this is such a typical Chicago politician. What is she talking about? What are the two fail, two successes that she's talking about? I'm calling them fails. Online database of police misconduct. Okay, yes, they are starting to do some of that, a little bit of that. Listen, I don't trust their database. I don't trust the Inspector General's office now and under anyone else they hire in the future. I don't trust any of it, period. What, it's not about you creating the database. They've been talked into it, and that's a fail. I think that's actually come out of the Invisible Institute, and that's a horrific, massive, unprecedented, unbelievable fail. Don't build the database. Release the data, period. We don't need the database. We need the data. Someone will build the database. I don't trust you. We need access to the things to be able to prove um, that the data is real. I'm not going to just trust what comes out of the IG's office or any office. Um, so that's a fail. Community commission. It, it pretty much sucks to the core. Community group spent six years working with two different mayor's office, Rahm Emanuel's office and her office, and she walks away and writes her own version. Right? With almost, it's almost completely toothless. These are not progressive reforms. These are reforms that Rahm Emanuel or Richard Daly would have passed. There's nothing new here. Nothing new. This is for propaganda to make it seem like you're doing something, but not really do anything. Not really change any status quo. Nothing she's talking about is a national best practice. It's a national leader. We're still, even with these, in the back of the pack completely. It's disgusting, but these are what you get it. This is what you get from a machine, uh, slightly liberal politician. It's just, and sadly, this is what we're going to get from Lightfoot. Okay, segment number four. Title of the article, it took 16 years for the CPD to seek an officer's firing for alleged misconduct. So the case should be dropped, his lawyers say. This is an SOS cop. What does SOS mean? Special Operations Section. For those that haven't been paying attention for, I don't know, 15 years, they wouldn't even know what SOS is. Look up Jerome Finnegan and you can talk about the best of the CPD for sure. SOS was Special Operations Section. It, um, it went rogue in a major way, or elements of it did. Many officers, uh, three or four were arrested, I think, in the end. Maybe more got state charges. Um, a couple went federal. Jerome Finnegan, the worst of them, trying to kill, trying to set up the murder of at least a few officers from the unit. Thomas Sherry is one of them. He um, was originally charged, and then they dropped the charges because they didn't believe some of the witnesses. So if you want, if you need any evidence that the Chicago Police Department and the police accountability system is broke and sucks royally, this is it. They've known about this misconduct for 16 years, ladies and gentlemen. 16 years. This has fallen through the cracks of the cracks of the cracks of the cracks. He's been on desk duty for 16 years. 
He even sued at some point to get off of desk duty. And the federal judge said, sorry, you waited too long. You spent too many years on desk duty. You can't file suit now. He's basically, one of the things he's talking about, besides the fact that the it, they've taken way too long and it violates his right to due process for so long, which he actually might be right there, is he's saying there was really no investigation. So there was the independent police, no. This case was originally investigated by the Office of Professional Standards, OPS. OPS was replaced by the Independent Police Review Authority in 2007. The Office of Professional Standards was incredibly, highly, unbelievably inept and corrupt. IPRA comes in. The case goes to the feds. Finnegan gets arrested. This is still why OPS is going. Finnegan, a couple officers, they get arrested on state charges, local charges. Then they get arrested on... Finnegan a couple weeks later on federal, excuse me, on federal charge, trying to set up the murder and other things. At this point, the SOS, SOS unit implodes. And multiple officers, they seek firing, they seek suspensions for, and they're doing investigations and they strip their duty. Sherry is one of them. And now at that time, the Independent Police Review Authority, OPS and IPRA, um, as a transition in IPRA, they held up the the investigation, internal investigation about whether or not there should be misconduct charges levied and whether they should seek the termination of Sherry, waiting for the criminal charges to resolve themselves. Sherry was originally charged criminally and at some point later, I think a year or two later, they ended up dropping the charges. That evidence then, after the Finnegan case and everything was done, they gave it back to, at that point, the Independent Police Review Authority. Gave it back to them. They gave it to them. All. The feds did all the evidence. So at that point, there was an investigation, but there wasn't because they had all the thing about all the charges and everything going on. So the IPRA investigator in a deposition basically said, yeah, the, the, the investigation was done, but it was predetermined. Come on. Why would I? Why do we? We don't need to do one. We have all the evidence from the feds. He's done. Plus, there was a lot of people gave in Finnegan case and others gave depositions and gave testimony in court. So because of the statute of limitations and because of the predetermined investigation, they're saying the case should be dropped. And honestly, I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm expecting it to be dropped. And then Sherry, after all the misdeeds, including kidnapping and other things he supposedly did while out on the street, is going to be back out on the street in Chicago. Doesn't that make you feel well? If you need reasons to believe the Chicago Police Department internally are broken, not all the officers, but the management system is completely crapola, this is it. Total crapola. Okay. We'll be back with you in one minute. Give me some information about our nation project, uh, crowdsource research projects, um, social media advocacy, pu public policy advocacy, social media ambassadors. It's important. It, it leads to good things. You know what it leads to? This report will release tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Central Time. All the research, the writing, and the data is all done by volunteers. Come and be a part of it. We'll be back in one minute. Join a group of engaged and committed individuals advocating for transparency and accountability in the local justice system around the country. Get engaged through crowdsourced research projects, digital activism, public policy advocacy, or become a social media ambassador. Our criminal justice system will not reform itself. Communities must demand it. Transparency can be the fuel for justice our local communities need to combat the weaponizing of data by our justice system. Transformation of our justice system cannot occur until we know exactly what they are doing and who they are doing it to. Get involved today. CJP Nation. Okay, hello ladies and gentlemen, we are back. All right, so I got a comment on if, um, through our social media. So there's no link for police accountability proposals. Um, if you're talking about our report tomorrow, our report, it comes out tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. It'll be on our website at chicagojustice.org. If you got questions or comments from Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you're watching this, just post in those comments and I will get them and I will address them. So we're going to move on to our next segment. And this is an article from the Sun Times. And honestly, I thought it was going to be a little um, better than it turned out to be. 
But post-George Floyd, police reforms in Chicago are disappointing, community leaders say. Yeah, I don't know what I was expecting. Maybe I thought this was going to be more of a scorecard. Um, so here we go. First of all, here's a data issue. These things just so rile me up. Here's a quote from the article. Since Floyd's death in May 2020, 21 people have been shot, seven of them fatally by Chicago cops. According to the city's Civilian Office of Police Accountability, among those kills was a 13-year-old Adam Toledo. Okay, well, was it a bad, were those bad shootings, good shootings? Is that a lot, a little? I mean, what were we supposed to expect? Where's the context? What, we, what were we supposed to expect in a pandemic year? Hmm. No, they have no idea. They just like reporting numbers. It doesn't have to have context. It doesn't have to make sense. It just You just have to be like, oh, my God, that's so cool. You got numbers. You got numbers that added up all the way to 21. Amazing. Okay, here's another quote. City officials, and this one I really agree with. And this is um, Nursat Chowdhury is how I'm going to try to pronounce her name. Nursat, if I'm totally wrong. I apologize. She's the legal director at the ACLU of Illinois. City officials seem to view the consent decree as a ceiling, but they should really be looking at it as a floor. Yes, completely agree. Completely, completely agree. This is an issue with Mayor Lightfoot. Mayor Lightfoot is using the consent decree as basically the, that's the only reform we're going to allow in. Instead of looking at it like, that's the bare minimum we can do, and Chicago can be a national leader, and we can put in even better, stronger regulations. No, 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 no. She don't like that. She don't like that, and that is, is a problem. Chowdhury is 100% completely, 100 correct. So let's go on to the next one. Andrea Ortiz, an organizer with Brighton Park Neighborhood Council, said that if the city had made reforms earlier, such as instituting a foot pursuit policy, the fatal police shootings of Adam Toledo and Anthony Alvarez might have been avoided. Unfor unfortunately, Andrea, that is incorrect. Had they, I would say it is if had they put in a really stringent best practices national one, that's a possibility. But let me say that it's a possibility for Anthony Alvarez. I think that shooting was bad. I think the chase was bad. And I think once you lose sight of someone, especially someone you know you have a, that has a gun and you don't have... Uh, imminent evidence that you don't have evidence that shows they're going to be committing a shooting imminently you let that person go so i think and you shouldn't chase people from they chased him for they think driving on a suspended license he wasn't at a car he's on foot once he took off they should have let him go that is something that should be outlawed by uh, a strong foot pursuit policy but it would not and is not outlawed by the chicago police department's draft policy that is in place right now so they did issue one afterwards and it wouldn't it wouldn't stop that and it certainly wouldn't stop the adam toledo shooting and i i'm be honest with you ladies and gentlemen i don't think there's a foot pursuit policy anywhere in the nation that would have stopped the adam toledo foot pursuit multiple shots as a car was driving by with with occupants in it they call police uh shot spotter gets it yes shot powder sucks but i know shot spotter alerts the police officers plus there's other 911 calls they go to the scene they see two people in an alley, one with a gun near the scene of where the shooting happened. They get out of the car. The kid takes off. They keep sight of him. They run down. I don't care if it's a block or two or three, but I don't even think it's that long. I think it's like half, or, half a block or a block. They keep him in vision the entire time. That, that foot pursuit is going to happen every day of the week in almost every city around the country. It is. I, I'm, not, I'm not happy Adam got shot. I, I would like to avoid it at all costs. But you're not going to have a general public move towards police not chase people who shot at a moving car for no reason that had occupants in it. Just, it isn't going to happen. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Um, okay, we got one more on this segment. Do we need to do more, Lightfoot said in a recent news conference about reform? Of course we do. And the journey is going to continue for years to come because there has to be a continual training and work. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, what you got there was in Lightfoot admitting that she is only interested, not interested in regulations from the city council. 
She's only interested in reforming police policy. And she does it on the Chicago pace, which means she might get a new policy every half dozen years and it'll suck and they'll never follow it and it won't make a difference. And 30 years from now, people will fight again to change it. Um, it's, it's, um, it's horse crapola. It's horse crapola. That's ridiculously bad. Um, so the article is pretty decent. Um, I really think someone needs to do a, a big time scorecard and grade out Lightfoot. Maybe CJP will do that. Maybe we'll do that. Okay. This is a CNN article. We're going to talk to a, turn to a couple national things now. This is a huge step for law enforcement. Police unions shift stance on protecting bad officers. Wow. Awesome. Doesn't that sound amazing? But is it true? It makes a good headline. You'll click on it. But is it true, ladies and gentlemen? And the devil's in the details, right, ladies and gentlemen? The devil's in the details. So let's dig in. I wonder, is this the FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police, the national one that has all these local affiliates around the country? Is that what they're talking about? Hmm, let's see. A committee convened by the AFL-CIO, International Brotherhood of Teamsters, and Service Employees International Union, SEIU, Friday approved a plan that calls on more than 250 law enforcement members and more than 100,000 members in police-adjacent professions to intervene when another union member is doing something wrong. That sounds good. 250,000 members? And 100,000 in police-adjacent professions? That sounds good, doesn't it? But God, does, does, does that... Does that, does, is that the FOP? I don't, I don't think I read the FOP in there. Oh, wait, we got another quote. Let's see. The Fraternal Order of Police, an organization which represents 356,000 members and more than 2,100 lodges across the country, was not involved in developing this plan. John Paul Smith, a United Steelworker staffer who was a police officer for four years and, is, and who worked on this project, said the local FOP leaders incendiary rhetoric make labor's jobs more difficult this last year so the fop is not involved i don't know any major police department that has that who's represented by or in some version of the sciu or the teamsters or the AFL-CIO. I don't know. Maybe there are. I know New York isn't. I know Chicago isn't. I'm pretty sure LA isn't. And that right there is 60,000 officers. Yeah, 50, 55, 55,000, something like that. So it doesn't, it doesn't include the FOP. Shocker. Of course it doesn't. The FOP is not for anything. They will screw their membership Every single time, as long as it helps to aid the cover-up of an, one single officer's bad duty. They don't care who they sacrifice, how it hurts their, their brand. They don't care. As long as they cover up for an officer, that's all they care about. One, I'm going to read you another large section. One more section. It's kind of large, but... With law enforcement, departments across the country have adopted a model of intervention developed by a psychology professor working with the New Orleans Police Department. Georgetown Law School developed a program based on that, which launched after Floyd's death. That program requires departments to seek their counsel to implement by... I don't know what it, it, the program requires departments to seek their counsel. I don't know what the hell that is. So they're, it doesn't require them to hire. I don't, I don't know what... That's a stupid phrase. But anyways, implement bystander training through the entire department and trains officers to intervene on colleagues and higher-ranking officers. They've trained more than 110 police departments with more than 90,000 officers. So, that's interesting. We're hoping we're going to contact the Georgetown, people at the Georgetown Law School running that program and have them on the show to talk about it. I do think it's interesting. I don't know how you get... An intervention. I, I don't know how that works in a militarized function like that. It, 
I mean, it would work in the George Floyd case, but I'm just, I just don't, I just don't know how it works in reality. So, um, all right. So the New York Police Department, along with departments in Denver and Baltimore, have committed to Georgetown, the Georgetown mo model. But what the unions are proposing would only apply to their members. Hmm. Not sure exactly what that means. Do you? But here's what I'm going to say. You can train them all you want. Two things. Does it? Is there a disciplinary piece to this if they don't intervene? Like, can they be fired? Right? And is that piece in the contract? Has that been negotiated? Because if it hasn't, if there's not meaning of full discipline for not intervening when you should have, then it's all for not. It seems interesting. We're going to bring the or try to bring the people in from Georgetown, um, have them on the show so we can talk about it. I do think the general idea is interesting. George Floyd, it would be interesting to see uh, what could have saved, probably could have saved his life. I will say that I think there's another piece that's missed here, which is if you look at the um, Laquan McDonald video, the cops in that video were doing everything we wanted them to do. Then what happened? Another cop comes on the scene and why they spent minutes not firing at, Laqu at Laquan for McDonald, Laquan McDonald. This officer gets on the scene, determined to kill him, gets out, flips, takes out his gun and kills him. 16 shots. So it's, it'd be interesting if, to understand better how the police department handles who's in control of that scene and who gives orders for what unless there's an imminent threat. And obviously... As we've learned, Laquan was not an imminent threat. So we're going to move on to our next segment, which is also a national piece. This is out of the New Yorker, and it's a piece entitled How Violent Cops Stay in Law Enforcement. This reminded me today when I was putting the show together. For a lot of rural departments, this doesn't happen typically in larger urban departments. New York, L.A., Houston, Philadelphia, Phoenix, Miami. But it does in rural departments. And this has happened in the Tamir Rice incident in Cleveland. It happened in the Michael Brown incident in Ferguson. But cops get into a department, do bad things, are fired, and then move out of state or to the town next door, in the Ferguson case, and get another job. And this goes to whether or not the officers like them being terminated desert in, in some in many states not all states have certification of police officers illinois does so when you're fired are you decertified which means you can't get another job in illinois as a police officer what should be done is you get fired for misconduct corruption brutality a bad shooting you get decertified and you're put into a national database and you cannot get a cop you cannot get a cop job anywhere in the country period you're barred that's what should happen. It can't happen because several states, I think including California, don't have decertification. Check that one out. I know, I don't think Missouri does now, ladies and gentlemen. I don't remember the cop's name, but in the Michael Brown incident in Ferguson, that cop eventually, I believe, was, um, I don't know if he was fired from the Ferguson Police Department, but he was a member of a department that the feds or someone took over and fired everyone because they were so horrible, fired all of them, and then had... That town contract out their policing to another town because the department was so corrupt, inept, and broken, right, and racist. And one of those cops, the cops in Michael Brown's case, that cop, he went and got a job in Ferguson. This is a not this is a all too common story in rural police departments, rural and smaller smaller suburban police departments. This is an all too common thing. It's sad, but we need a national solution. All departments should have certification. All states should have certification. If you get fired for misconduct or you get you leave under a cloud before the investigation is completed, um, you're decertified. Now, when I would take it one step further, retiring police officers, like if you're a Chicago police officer, you only lose your pension if you're fired, if you're um, convicted of a felony. That's got to change. You get fired, you lose your pension. Especially for misconduct, abuse, brutality, racism. You should lose your pension. 
That said, your pension should be tied to the police accountability system, which means you're retired. Great. Guess what? If the police accountability system at any point while you're collecting your pension, or before or after, if you outlive it or don't take it yet, if they want your cooperation, they want your testimony, they want your cooperation in any kind of investigation, whether you're the target or not, you must cooperate. Or you lose your pension. Period. This is like what we, real accountability would look like. But, you know, you're not going to find that. So um, let me get to a quote about the officer, Timothy Lohman in Cleveland. And I got an update on that too right now. In 2014, after a Cleveland police officer named Timothy, Timothy Lohman shot and killed Tamir Rice, a 12-year-old black child who was holding a toy gun, an investigation revealed that Lohman had previously been deemed unfit for duty at another Ohio police department. Yep, he had either been forced out or fired from another Ohio police department, and then he went to Cleveland and got a job. And then him and his officer totally botch a call for someone with a gun, even though at that 911 call, they tell the 911 operators they think it's a toy gun because it's a young kid. They don't give that information to the cops. They botch the tactics. They get, they slide on the ice and they're within feet of him and they get out and they just shoot him right away. Now, update. They fired Loman and his partner. They're suing to get their jobs back. This is the problem with decertification after only felonies. It's just ridiculous. It is just a ridiculous. If you're, excuse me, if you're an officer um, and you get fired from any job for incompetence, unfit for duty, brutality, racism, abuse, you should lose your ability to get a job anywhere else. Um, and it should also be a felony, by the way, nationally. Um, in every state and probably at the federal level to lie when applying for a police job about whether or not you've ever been employed because I bet you some of these cops just lie about their gigs. That would be my bet. Smaller departments don't do the sophisticated background checks. So um, that would be my bet. Okay, we're going to turn on to the next segment and our last one for today. Sometimes editorial from May 26th, if I got the date right, called Closed Loopholes in Illinois Gun, Gun Laws Save Lives. Now, yes, there's no doubt the gun laws in Illinois have to have some loopholes closed, but they also need to be changed nationally if we're going to make a real impact. Universal background checks, universal... Um, Reporting within 24 hours of your guns being stolen. And if you have so many guns stolen in a certain period of time, you can't buy more. Those things would kind of help. No buying guns from out of state. I mean, there's all kinds of things we could do. So, the sometimes calls two specific pieces of this bill in downstate that are really needed. Requiring mandatory fingerprinting for people getting firearms owner's identification cards. Sure, but I, I, I fail to see what major impact that is going to have. If you're worried about people buying guns legally and doing things with them, they're doing that doing they're doing is selling. <laughs> they are not perpetrators most of the time. Vast majority of time. So um, and if they are, they're usually caught or it's at their house and they know it's not, I just, I, I don't know, I'm a little lost on that one. This one I agree with. Universal background checks by a federally licensed gun dealer for person-to-person -person sales. Amen. We need that. Every sale, no matter what it is, any transfer, giving, give up ownership, um, should have to have a background check. It should also have to be registered with the government so they know who got it. And that would force the person who bought it to register the gun. And if they don't, then it's a felony. Will either of these make a major, major difference? Some, the gun show stuff will make a difference. Some, I, I like the background checks and the registering 
personal sales with the government because it it would stop a little bit of the straw purchaser issue. The real solution, obviously, as we all know, is federal laws so that we don't have to worry about going state to state with different laws, but we need one blanket universal law around guns. Even with that, will it be the massive change? No, it'll massively help. We have banned guns, it would massively help, but we're not going to do that. But even if you put universal background checks on federal, it will only do so much. These communities on the south and west sides of Chicago specifically, but in large urban areas, even if you take the guns out, are not going to change themselves. They need investment. They need economic changes that are going to be the real deal for long-term massive change in these communities. It's just the way it goes. And um, the Sun-Times editorial board and the Tribune editorial board, with both, who for the most part both suck royally, will never call for those massive, massive economic changes. They like the loop. They like the flowers by their offices and, and throughout the loop getting changed three or four times a year. Couldn't imagine how many times they changed in our old office at Wacker and State. It was just, or Wabash, it was the most amazing thing. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Check out our website tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. for the release of the report. Um, ChicagoJustice.org, and you'll get that report. We'll be talking to the author, Lauren Cole, our intern from the University of Chicago, um, on our show on Wednesday. Also tomorrow at noon, forgot to mention this earlier, tomorrow at noon central, our Instagram, we will be talking about the report on Instagram. We're going to be doing, uh, myself and Lauren will be doing an Instagram live at noon central. Follow us at Chicago Justice Project on Instagram, and we will see you tomorrow, hopefully.